Our good Father, we ask that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and that by it you would show us Jesus, your Son, and that by your Spirit we might be changed to be like him. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you are new to resurrection, we've been spending our time this fall in this old letter commonly called 1 John, and it was a letter written shortly after Jesus' death by one of his closest followers and closest friends, which means that what we're getting in this letter is not just rumors or guesses about Jesus and who he was and what he was about, but we're getting someone who said, uh, I've, I've lived with him, I have seen, I have heard, I have listened. We're hearing from someone who genuinely loved Jesus. Jesus meant so much to John, and he is passing on what he believes. And today we're in the middle of the letter, and as we're going through this, what we're probably going to be seeing is that uh, the way John writes is different than many other authors in the New Testament. So you take the Apostle Paul, for example, and as you read through maybe his letter to the Romans, what you're going to find is this building logic that leads to this place of this is how we are to live coming out of this. Uh, it's really a straight line that is going somewhere. John writes very differently. John's writing is more like a spiral. He'll address something and then he'll move on to something different and then he'll come back to that and then he'll move on to something and he'll come back to it. It's, it's circling around and around because it's his way of saying this is important. This is really important. There are a few basic things about the Christian faith that you've got to get. And he is wanting for those things to go deeper inside of us. It's not like we have mastered algebra and we move on to geometry. The Christian life doesn't work that way. The Christian life goes deeper and deeper into a few important, basic truths. And one of the key themes that keeps popping up and that we're going to be diving even deeper into today is this question of how are we treating one another? Whether it's someone coming in your life for a very short stay, like the person taking your order in a drive-thru, or whether it's your spouse of 25 years. When others encounter you, what is their experience? Not just once, but in every relationship, every interaction. What what is being presented before us by John is two very different ways to live, two very different paths that we can choose between. And the two paths can simply by, be summarized by this. There is the way of Cain and there is the way of Jesus. And, and the, these paths are paths that we choose uh, not just once and for all, but we choose every day, every interaction, every conversation we have this choice before us of, am I going to walk here and now in the way of Cain, or am I going to walk and live here and now in the way of Jesus? And so here's how we're going to divide it up this morning. I want to look at three things. I want to look at the, the way of Cain then, back with the original Cain. I want to look at the way of Cain now and what it looks like for us. And then I want to look at this better way 
set before us. So Cain then, Cain now, better way. First, the way of Cain then. If you've ever read the book East of Eden, uh, it's a powerful read and it gives this picture of, of generational sibling rivalry as it, as it passes on, of, of brother against brother. And what John Steinbeck, in writing that, he's really, he's really riffing off this story of Cain and Abel. And in his own admission, he says that in that story, the entire human condition is captured. There's something about that story and the story we're looking at, the story of Cain, that, that captures the human dilemma. When John says in verse 12, we should not be like Cain, he's pulling from a story long, long ago that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Cain is the first child of Adam and Eve. And what we know already from Genesis 3 is that Cain is born into a world in which things are not the way that they are supposed to be. Sin is already beginning to take a foothold. It's clear that Adam and Eve were given directions on God saying, this is how you are to live as my beloved people. This is the good way. Walk in it. And and them left to their own wisdom said, we think our way is best. And they walk in that way and the world has changed forever. And what we're seeing in Genesis 4 in the story of Cain is really the fallout of the fall. We're seeing these ripple effects going not just to their lives, but generations. We're seeing it spread. Cain's the older brother of Abel. Cain works in the field. Abel works in the livestock. And part of their practice of faith at this point in history was to bring offerings before the Lord. Probably offerings of gratitude, offerings of thanks, offerings of love. So they both bring an offering and Abel is said to have brought the firstborn of his flock and all their fat portions. The, the detail of that sentence communicates an extravagant gift communicates a generous gift. It communicates a sacrificial gift. Cain is said to have just brought some fruit of the ground. God receives both, but He receives them in different ways. And we read that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, He had no regard. The difference here that is being brought out is not just between meat and between fruit. The difference goes much deeper. The difference is not just what is being offered, but what is happening in the human heart. And here we're beginning to see more clearly what the way of Cain really is. So first, the starting point for the way of Cain is not an overflow of love towards God. What we are given is a hint from Abel's offering that what he is giving is overflowing out of love, out of trust, out of worship. He is giving what is precious to him to the Lord because the Lord means something to him. But something is off in Cain's offering, which points to something being off in Cain's heart. The starting point in the way of Cain 
is not an overflow of love towards God. Second, the way of Cain refuses to look inside, to look in the mirror, and to take responsibility. You see, this could have been an easy opportunity when the Lord had no regard for His offering, for Him to look at Himself and say, how can I be different? How is this an opportunity to grow? How is this an opportunity to change? How is it an opportunity for me to become who I was meant to be in all its fullness? But in his response, what do we see? He was very angry. In other words, what Cain is saying is, this is not a me problem. This is a you problem. The apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. Where Adam, remember his response? Uh, it was the woman that you gave me. And what we see is this inability to, to take a good look in the mirror and to take responsibility is passed on. And the Lord in his kindness and the Lord in his love pursues Cain, just as he pursued Adam and Eve. And he said, be careful because sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In other words, God is saying in this world that is in which this infection of sin is spreading, there are two ways that you can live. Either you can rule over sin or sin is going to rule over you. And God out of love says, I want you to rule over this. Be careful, Cain. But even God speaking to Cain does not change his mind. Third, we see the way of Cain turns against others. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? John takes all that we just heard and just says we should not be like Cain. That's Cain then. What does Cain now look like? We're going to look at the same three just in reverse. The way of Cain now still turns against others. In the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo finds himself burdened with this task of saving Middle-earth, taking this ring of power to the only place it can be destroyed. And one of the things that I, may, I think has made these books so memorable and meaningful is the relationships and the friendships that you see played out. So he, he, he attempts to take this burden on himself. He attends to go alone in it, to go by secret. But as he tries to leave, the secret gets out to his closest friends and Frodo, Frodo looks at them and says, it doesn't seem like I can trust anyone anymore. And Sam, his best friend, looks at him unhappily and says, it all depends on what you want. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word we are your friends. When faced with this question, are we our brother's keeper? Their answer was yes. We will stick with him 
through thick and through thin, even unto death. We love him and we'll do anything for him. That's the vision for this community, this kind of knitting together in love. And John is concerned because he sees this knitting together in love being pulled apart in different ways. And when he says we should not be like Cain, the problem is not that violence is breaking out in all sorts of ways and and there is murder that's happening. And John is writing to tell them, you just can't keep killing each other. It's like, it's like uh, John Connor when he told Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2. You know, he's like, you just can't keep killing people. John is speaking to a pretty normal group. A group like us. Normal relationships, normal struggles. So, so what's going on? What we're seeing again is that that John is passing on lessons that he has learned from Jesus, his master. He's distilling it and saying, this is what is good. Remember back in the famous Sermon on the Mount where where Jesus was teaching about God's commandments and he was teaching about how we tend to confuse what his commandments are all about. So our tendency is to approach a commandment like the sixth commandment and say, you shall not murder. I haven't killed anyone lately. I don't plan on killing anyone soon. Check. What else does God have for me to do? And Jesus says, slow down. Not so fast. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. There's there's a lot that we do not have the space to address today, but here's how John passes on this message to us. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. To murder someone is to take their life away in a very literal sense. But here, John is following Jesus and saying, there are ways that we can relate to one another that take away life in a different way. Think about what you're doing when you gossip. Think about what you're doing when you speak sharply with cutting words. Think about what you're doing when you are attacking. Think about what you're doing when you are judging someone, when you are putting yourself in a proud, superior place. Think about what you are doing when you refuse to forgive. Think about what you're doing when you refuse to take responsibility in caring for others. You're not leading others to life. We're following in the way of Cain. Uh, most of us have a picture of what it looks like to hate someone else. So if I asked you, what do you think hating someone means? We tend to get a picture in our minds of something that's incredibly intense. Uh, just anger coming out. And what Jesus and John does is, is stretches the definition of hatred to see different extremes. The the most extreme form of hatred is to take someone else's life. That's the worst you can do. But there's also things that happen in the middle and and maybe on the least of that is, is simply harsh thoughts 
in your own hearts of someone. But, but John in his black and white way is saying there is either the way of love or there is the way of hatred. And both of those have their own spectrum of what that looks like. But you cannot do both. The reality that, that Jesus and John are pointing us to is that how we treat others, every relationship, every interaction is either giving life or taking it away. When they experience us, they're either experiencing Cain or they're experiencing Jesus, which we'll talk about in a moment. We're either giving life giving death. And as Jesus reminds us, it's not just in our actions, also in our words, it's also in the desires and thoughts and judgments that take place inside of us. It's not just what, what we see posted online. It's the hidden corners of our heart. The way of Cain today still turns against others. And the way of Cain today still refuses to look inside and take responsibility. We are called to love all. But John here focuses on a very specific set of relationships, namely how this church community is relating to one another, how brother and sister are treating one another. And there's good reason for this. One reason is that it's actually easier to love a stranger. When I think about the... If you were to... to do a bar graft of the different times that I have asked for forgiveness and apologized to different people over the past five years, what you would see is an incredible increase when it comes to my wife and my kids. They know me. They see the best of me. They see the worst of me. They experience the best of me. They experience the worst of me. That relationship uh, is the most beautiful and it's also the most difficult because there's the most opportunity for my sin to come out. There's a reason why Paul says in his letter to Timothy, speaking about elder shepherding, he says, if you can't care for your own family, how can you care for God's church? John talks in this passage about closing our hearts. About, about not seeing the needs of others or maybe seeing the needs and, and shutting the gates on it, not allowing any movement coming from us towards others. That closing our hearts is us saying, this is not a me problem, this is a you problem. I think about what Mr. Rogers said once. He said, we live in a world where we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say, not my child, not my community, not my problem. But there are those who see and respond. I consider those people my heroes. Uh, the way of Cain closes heart. Finally, the way of Cain still and now is not an overflow of love towards God. Verse 17, if anyone has the world's good, sees his brother in need or sister in need, yet closes his heart, how can the love of God be in them? In other words, if that closing is happening, what it reflects is a heart that has not been moved by what God has done for us. Because John is saying, there's no way that you can see what I've seen on the cross. There's no way that you can feel what I felt by being around Jesus. There's no way you can grasp what 
forgiveness looks like and what life-giving words feel like and go and do what you're doing. The way of Cain doesn't get who God is and what He's done. And so the way of Cain is not an overflow of love for God. You can't give away what you don't have. So that's the way of Cain then, and we see the way of Cain now in all of us. But there is another way. There is a better way. And this is our final point. The way of Jesus. So when I, when I write birthday kids to, or birthday cards to the different kids in our church, I, I try to include a verse from Scripture just, just to remind, say, Scripture is good. It's life-giving. There are good things in this book. Um, but there's a lot of complicated verses in the Scriptures, and so I try to find one that's accessible. And so many of my birthday cards to kids, they include verses from 1 John because John has this uh, this uncanny ability to crystallize things in such a simple and beautiful way. And this is one I use again and again. Verse 16, by this we know love, or this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's a message that I want our kids to get. This is how we know what love is. Jesus gave his life for you. God saw our need and His response was not to close the gates of His heart, but to open them wide. And when He does, what we do is we stick a nail right through His heart. And it's in that work on the cross by which this better way is opened up to us. And us, us seeing this better way of us seeing what real love is and what Jesus has done for us is meant to reshape our relationships and how we treat one another. Verse 11, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Verse 17, we should open our hearts to the needs of another. Verse 18, we should love not just in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. All of this is summed up in verse 16, Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Years ago, I got my wife a card for our anniversary and its message, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it was something uh, like this. You have all my love, all my, I give you all my love, I give you all my life and some of my French fries. <laughs> Which was perfect at the time because one of my pet peeves was we would order something and then she would start eating my food. Do any of y'all have that problem? Um, and we would laugh about it because at one point I had made these promises to love her for better, for worse, sickness and health, richer for poor, till death do us part. I've said, I will die for you, but I do not want to share my food with you. And, and I know that's a very... That's a very trivial example, but it gets it at some of what I want us to see in the opportunities of what it looks like to love each other. It's easy to say, oh, I want to I die for this person. But, but to actually live for someone else day to day in these small mundane moments is much more difficult. The opportunities that God gives us to love are not these big flashy opportunities. It's these small 
tangible ways. A kind word, a simple gift, an overlooking an offense, an extension of forgiveness, a prayer. Very few of us, if any of us, will have the chance to die for somebody that we love. But every one of us will have the chance every day to live for someone that we care about. You have that opportunity in every relationship. You have that opportunity in every action. You have that opportunity with every single word. As I was preparing this this week, it hit me in a personal way as I was interacting with different people. I would just, there was times where I would get frustrated and, and the choice would be before me. Am I going to walk in the way of Cain? Am I going to be like Cain or am I going to be like Jesus? What is going to come out from me? I know what I want to come out of me. This life of sacrifice, it does cost something. It will cost time. It will cost energy. It will mean being inconvenienced. It will mean that people hurt you when you open up to them and you try to help them. It means you will be misunderstood. But when asked, when Jesus was asked, am I my brother's keeper? Is he our keeper? His answer was yes. And that's what he's saying on the cross. I am your keeper. I am your savior. Here is the extent of which I will go in my love for you. The way of Cain is death. The way of Jesus is life. He is inviting us to walk in this better way. Let's pray. Our good Father, we thank you that um, you're so much better than us. Uh, we thank you that you offer us a better way, a way that leads to life. And you, you pull us into and invite us to be people who uh, give life to others, who extend your life, your love, your service, your forgiveness, your kindness, your goodness, your purity, by which others can have an experience of Jesus by their interactions with us. That is a beautiful calling and a sobering opportunity. May we be the kind of church in the way we love each other, in the way we love our children, in the way our children love their siblings, in the way we love our spouses, that, that others might look and say, that is a picture of Jesus, of a kind of love that I want to know. I want to live in. I want to experience it. I want to be His. May it be so and more. In your name we pray. Amen.